Well, that got everyone's attention. I know we've been beating the China dead horse around here quite a lot recently, but there's a reason why. And the data we got just yesterday shows exactly why. China went from reopening darling to holy crap, what's going on here in a matter of just months or seemingly in just a matter of just months. We've been telling you all along markets weren't buying reopening. But for most people, it was China's going to be great to, oh, what is really happening over there? And it just a couple of months time. It's so fast that it has unnerved a lot of investors, a lot of commentators, even officials in Beijing. Last night, the PBOC announced a surprise, unexpected 15 basis point cut to their MLF, which means loan prime rates are going to be going down by about the same amounts. They're starting to panic in Beijing. And even more ridiculously, the Chinese said, you know, that youth unemployment problem that everyone's been talking about, the record high 21.3% rate that we've reported last month, we're not going to even report that this month, which was a clue that the data we got was going to be pretty bad and awful. And of course, it really was. It was so bad that it has overshadowed today some decent numbers in U.S. retail sales and what seems like a boom right next door in Japan. Let's take Japan first. Here's Bloomberg from today. Gross domestic product grew at an annualized pace of 6% in the second quarter, marking the strongest growth since the last quarter of 2020, the cabinet office data show Tuesday. The figure exceeded economists' forecasts of 2.9% growth. Tuesday's data adds, add to signs that the world's third largest economy continues to recover from the pandemic. The size of the economy grew to 560.7 trillion yen, the biggest on record, surpassing its pre-pandemic peak, finally. So we've got all this China gloom, and but a Japan boom? And if we have a China, China gloom and Japan boom, why isn't the Japanese yen decoupling from China's yuan? Because even today, though the yen has, for the most part, in trading so far, it's only been a fraction. And over the last several years, yuan and yen have been tied closely together, including recently. So if Japan is booming and China is glooming, how do we explain the currency numbers? How do we explain the changes in the currency? Well, maybe Japan isn't really booming. Maybe that's just a quirk of some GDP accounting. And the global trade recession that is really impacting China and in the global trade recession that China is expanding and throwing around to the rest of the world, maybe that's really the unnerving part here. As the Chinese economy's gloom spreads, it's going to make a major, major, major impact around the rest of the world. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Eurodollar University, memberships available. We also have a webinar coming up on September 1st. You're going to want to check that out. The link will be in the description here. It will be a live event where I will do a presentation topic to be determined. So if you want to you want to see a, a live presentation from Eurodollar University, myself especially, sign up for that. Again, link in the description. If you're interested in memberships, those are at the website. We still have the anniversary sale going on, not just the memberships, but also the research subscriptions. All the information will be available for you at eurodollar.university. So let's go to back to Bloomberg to set the stage in Japan. So Japan is booming. Their GDP went up by a 6% plus annual rate, which is the best since reopening in 2020. And not only that, 
why did the G- why did GDP go up at a six percent annual rate? Uh, according to Bloomberg here, Japan's economy expanded at a much faster clip than forecast as a surge in exports more than offset weaker than expected results for both business investment and private consumption. And they're underselling the dichotomy here. In fact, when you break apart Jap- Japan's GDP data, what you see is it was all trade and nothing else. The nothing else part is actually less than nothing else. If you if you account for the export, or really the net export number, GDP would have been negative and solidly negative in the second quarter. Because it wasn't just, what did they say, weaker, offset weaker than expected results for businesses, business investment and private consumption. Private consumption contracted at a better than 2% annual rate. Business investment was non-existent, basically flat. Here's the numbers from the cabinet office. On a quarter over quarter basis, GDP increased by 1.48%. That's better than 6% annual rate. Private consumption, minus 0.5%. That's worse than a minus 2% annual rate. Excluding rent, minus 0.7% quarter over quarter. So we're talking about roughly a 3% decline annual rate in consumption excluding rent. Non-residential investment, that was basically flat, plus 0.03%. Residential investment, that was basically flat, 0.3%. And all of it comes down to exports and imports. Contributions to GDP, private consumption was minus 0.3. Private uh, residential investment, plus 0.1. Private non-residential investment, zero. Private inventories, minus 0.2. Government consumption, nothing. Public investment, or excuse me, public inventories, 0.1. You add that up and you get a negative quarter. So where did the rest of it come from? As I said before, it came from exports and imports. Exports contributed 0.7% percentage points to the 1.5% rate of GDP. Imports contributed 1.1 points for a grand total of 1.8 out of the 1.5. And the reason was because exports increased at a 3.2% quarter over quarter rate and imports declined at a 4.3% quarter over quarter rate. And the only reason exports increased it that much was because the first quarter had been so bad in the GDP numbers, the second quarter being not as bad looked as if it was growth. When it wasn't actually growth, it was less contraction than in the first quarter. So we have J- Japanese trade statistics that are contributing better than 6% annual gro- annualized growth rates to the second quarter because imports are falling at almost a 20% annual rate and, it, and exports, which are down big, rebounded slightly from the down worse in the first quarter during the second quarter. That's hardly a booming economy. That's just quirks of GDP. And it only gets worse because when you try to match the GDP export numbers with the export numbers from the Ministry of Finance, which I've talked about on this show and in our research subscriptions, what you find is that it appears that the cabinet office's GDP numbers are overstating, especially in real terms, exports. Not just in the first quarter, but really over the last several last couple years, going back to late 2021 and really the middle of 2022. Once the, ex- the global trade recession really started, suddenly there's a major disparity between GDP figures, which look much better, and the trade data from, from the Ministry of Finance, which looks a lot like everything else around the rest of the world. 
global trade recession, not booming Japanese economy. And the same is true on the import side to a lesser extent as well. But as far as GDP goes, I mean, look at it from the perspective of China, Jap Japanese trade to China. Uh, I think these numbers really, really emphasize the point that I'm trying to make here. So from the Chinese perspective, imports from Japan, those were down at an almost 20% year-over-year rate in the first quarter. But up to the second quarter, uh, Chinese imports from Japan were only down 16.7%. So they improved from really horrific to not quite as horrific. And GDP picks that up as from the first quarter to the second quarter, that looks like a tremendous increase. It looks like a lot of growth unless you put it in this sort of context. So global trade recession made it appear and the quirks of global trade as a recession made it appear as if Japan's economy was booming. Well, that's nothing compared to what just was what was just reported in China last night. As I mentioned in the opening, it was so bad the the PBOC decided we have to an emergency rate cut. We need to get that going, and that's important as well because the PBOC up until this time, think about former PBOC governor Yi Gang, who's all year kept kept preaching. Patience, got to have patience. Reopening is going to happen. Second half rebound. The second half is going to be much better. Instead, the second half is getting worse, not better. And now all of a sudden the PBOC under Pan Gong Sheng says, nah, we're going to start cutting rates here because we don't like what's going on. The whole thing really stinks. And it stinks even worse because, as I mentioned also in the opening, China has a youth unemployment problem. The lack of economic growth over the last several years, really going back to 2018 and 2019, even before the pandemic, youth unemployment rate has increased to the point where it gets higher and higher all the time because there's just not enough jobs being created. And the Chinese, like a lot of societies, they don't fire a lot of workers. So if you have older workers that are st they're sticking around, there's no place for younger workers to go. Increasingly, they're fro frozen out of the labor market. And since a lot of people have been noticing China's youth unemployment rate because it's at a record high, which kind of spoils the entire narrative here, the MBS decided in, in light of all the statistics that they were just about to report, they no longer want to report the youth unemployment rate because they think it's now faulty. Here's what Fu Lingui, who is an NBS spokesman, said about the youth unemployment statistics. The college students put their focus on gaining knowledge at campuses while the public holds different opinions, yeah, right, on whether we should include these college students in unemployment analysis before their graduation. Also, we need research to extend the age period of defining use as the young people are now having longer schooling years. So maybe we should just change the statistics. We don't like the way the numbers look. We don't like the way that people are looking at the number. So we need to redefine youth unemployment. So as I said, you can tell things are not going well. As, as Fu also stated, the Bureau is going to improve its statistical methods to reflect the real situation of the unemployment market, the employment market, because that will better serve the nation's economic and social development if we get the unemployment rate right, because bad, under, bad statistics obviously are hindering economic growth. They sound like Western central bankers. The statistics themselves were, they were even uglier than they had been last month. Somehow it got even worse in July than it had been in June. 
The industrial production figure year over year 3.7%. That had been 4.4% in June, so deceleration there. No help for base effects, so it looks pretty bad. Retail sales. Retail sales on a monthly basis, according to the MBS, actually declined by 0.6% in July. First decline since the pandemic restrictions, lockdown, all that kind of stuff. On a year-over-year basis, oh, just 2.5% compared to 3.1% in June, but June was a horrible number too. 2.5%. There was a time when retail sales were never below 8%, except for one month way back in 2003. Never below 8%. Now they can, they're lucky if we get 5% in any single month. And even now, 3%, that does become commonplace. China's retail sales are struggling because consumers, they understand, unlike economists, unlike Western observers, the situation there is grim and it's not getting better. There's no reopening boost here. Fixed asset investment, FAI rose at a 3.4% annual rate. That's an accumulated rate. So that's year to date, January through July. The accumulated rate through June was 3.8%. It was 4% through May. It is continuing to decline, even as the PBOC has, has, has cautioned, has encouraged uh, patients. Now has, it seems to be ditching patients and going into, holy crap, we need to start cutting rates here. And the real reason why is private FAI, which includes real estate development, down 0.5% on an accumulated basis. That compared to zero, minus 0.2% in June and minus 0.1% in May. Private FAI or any FAI, we never saw negatives before this year. Outside of 2020, a negative FAI and a negative private FAI, unheard of. The fact that it's negative now since May on an accumulated basis and getting more deeply negative now into June and July, accelerated downside in this real estate problem. It's consistent with the Credit numbers, the loan numbers that we got last week, um, basically credit came to a standstill, ground to a com almost complete halt in the month of July. The FAI, F FAI the FAI statistics here back up that assertion. The trade numbers, exports and imports, all of it. Even the uh, state-owned FAI continues to decelerate, which suggested up until this point, like Yi Gang had said earlier, former PBOC Governor Yi Gang, the government was willing to let this all play out. They were willing for, they're willing to wait to see if reopening did, if it was really a more longer term process rather than the hurry, let's get it up, let's, let's get it going. The, the Western narrative that developed early part of this year that reopening was gonna be fast and furious and have long long-term impacts. Instead, the Chinese government have said, well, yeah, there's gonna be a, a little bit of a boost at the beginning, but we're more concerned about the staying power to make sure that the economy, once it gets going, can continue to go, okay? the, whether the recovery can be sustained through the rest of this year and on to into next year. And up until now, up until just recently, they've been willing to let that happen. Let it, let's see if reopening is a longer run, longer term process than the rush that everyone was in earlier in the year. But instead, rather than seeing a second half rebound begin to develop or even be plausible, the statistics continue to show acceleration to the downside, and not just acceleration to the downside, but how quickly that has developed. That explains what we're seeing in the currency, CNY, as well as JPY, as well as, as I mentioned yesterday, India's rupee, which is at a new record low again today.
Where are the currencies today? Well, China's yuan, another low of obviously, I mean, not, not a big surprise, down to 728.3 before I started recording this. The Japanese yen is up a little bit at 145.39, but those two are pretty much still solidly together. The PBO fixed much weaker, but still it wasn't even close to enough. The fix last night was 7.1768, which just means that the spread between the midpoint and the market rate, the market exchange value, is at its widest since last October, which is not a good sign either. So all this gloom from China obviously overshadowed Japan's boom, which makes sense because the Japanese boom isn't really a boom. It's a quirk of GDP accounting, global trade recession, uh, the, the consumer price problem, price pressures in Japan. Those are actually having a negative impact in the Japanese economy. We got retail sales numbers in the U.S., which were like a lot of months, uh, which you see in retail sales. This was a good month compared to a few weaker months before. Everybody is now suddenly talking about China because it is one of those reopening darling to holy crap in a couple months that makes you pay attention. And we've been paying attention all along and the markets are saying, especially the market reaction today, this is still just getting started. If you want to see more about the impact of the global trade recession on the Chinese economy, what's doing to China's yuan, check out the video lit the link below me. As always, thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, and of course, our Eurodollar University members, some of whom you see next to me here. And until next time, everyone take care.